0: Welcome to Let's Talk About Gay Stuff. Woohoo!
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> we're the podcast where we talk about gay stuff and discuss LGBTQ plus history. We are Thomas. Kendall. All right, then this week we're going to discuss uh, Willie Ninja and Bill T. Jones. How about that for some gay oh, stuff? Oh,
1: okay. I thought you were doing a different topic.
0: Uh, well, Bill T. Jones.
1: I'm excited. I've never heard of her.
0: I think his pronouns are he, him, his I'll take it. He, him, his. Uh speaking of pronouns, uh what are your pronouns? I got all of them. All of them. I like all of the pronouns pronouns. Um this week uh I got to spend some time with Morky. If we could just do some Morky related news because um I haven't spent time with her. I mean I've spent time with her, but it was the first time I got to uh she spent the week with me while you were away. With your husband,
1: Morky being the diabetic dog that we share.
0: Yes, that. Um, well, she. We, I mean, people who listen to this follow us on social media would know Morky. We haven't done a Morky campaign, which I think this will inspire a Morky campaign because normally, uh,
1: you know. Well, she older. doesn't get out of bed for less than ten thousand.
0: This is true, listeners and <laughs> dollars. She's a high dollar hook, but she was so cute. But she does have diabetes. Diabetes, uh, but she she's she's feeling better. She likes to play with her
1: toys don't we all
0: (laughs) speaking of on a random we don't talk there's another podcast called our rupee podcast where you can hear about uh drag queen uh drag race recaps but we were just watching before the show um an episode of ruPaul's drag race uh and uh i one of the drag queens um the uh trans man that's on there uh was dressed up in anal bead for uh the bead runway and i was i was for that
1: was it the first time you were watching someone on TV wearing the same costume as you?
0: Well, I mean, I wish you would have given, given me credit for that. At least at me next time, right? You know, Isn't that what the kids say? At me?
1: I don't know. I don't know anyone under 47.
0: At this point, we're like, we're not even... You're the youngest person I know. i mean <laughs> <laughs> and I'm uh, just uh, half your age. Uh, no, the uh, I mean, this generation thing is getting scary because, you know, it, was, it used to be millennials, but now these Gen Zs are having their own personality types, like creating their own trends. And I don't even know what to do with that. I'm feeling really old at this point.
1: Well, that's not because of the Gen You can't blame me on the Gen Zers.
0: It's my dad jeans. <laughs> I wear sneakers to the grocery store with my dad jeans and my long sleeve shirt tucked in no my short sleeve shirt yes, button but up tucked in
1: to be fair you were doing that when you were younger
0: true <laughs> and that's how i got all the men's is is that's why i didn't get any women that's why my other uh, the the other piece of being a bisexual uh being uh, having women attracted to you, it wasn't happening cuz uh, I, I dressed like a dad when i was 21 now i am a daddy zaddy no
1: and now you dress like you're 21
0: <laughs> yeah, because that's how the twenty-one-year-olds dress. Like, uh, uh, I'm just straight
1: talking. jeans and wife beaters.
0: No, uh, well, that's what I dress. I can't like figure out the Gen Z
1: um, fashions.
0: Well, that's what we have next week. We'll have. But a...
1: let's agree not to be those old people that talks about what are kids wearing these days.
0: Well, we literally have a podcast uh, a, a s- segment of our podcast called Whippersnapper <laughs> that we'll have next week with Chris. Uh, telling us like What are the kids talking about these days
1: <laughs> <laughs> Where did that small boy go
0: But we didn't know He'll be uh, back next week he's, You know he's got uh, multiple jobs he's working
1: Well speaking of small children Did you do your homework
0: Yes on that little baby Baby Britney Jean Yes Son on a baby she's almost 40 She's gonna be 40 this year And you Mother still abuse
1: her No The homework for you I gave you was to watch Framing Britney Spears
0: And Spence and I watched it What'd you think? I thought, um, I don't know. I mean, I guess I thought more cause there was a lot of hype on Twitter, uh, on social media about this whole thing. I mean, all the celebrities, all the Twitter gays were like, Brittany, I, I feel like, well, cause we talked about Brittany last, uh, last year at the end of last year, she was one of the topics. And, uh, because uh, you're looking like blank. We talked about Brittany. Yes, we talked about Brittany for her birthday, uh, and uh, we talked about all this stuff. So it wasn't to me. It wasn't anything that was new, uh, because this whole conservatorship uh, stuff was is has been talked about and discussed for some time. So I, uh, you still don't believe me that we talked about Brittany, <laughs> one of the episodes.
1: Well, I'm glossing. Over, it sounds like you're glossing over the fact that you were the up there with diane sawyer and her
0: um oh you know what i was thinking about this so okay so the the documentary is uh what is what is the, the name of the documentary say wait me? no <laughs> oh no my God. We, we just framing context. britney spears framing britney spears uh it's a documentary about the conservative sh- conservatorship that she's under uh from her with her dad but basically. it's a lot more than that though yeah, and it talks about well, it talks about how the history and how we got there. It talks a little, a lot about the misogyny in the industry and how she was taken advantage of, and she was a puppet for the paparazzi and the media, right? Uh, and uh, and how she's in the situation she's in. now. and then there's been a lot of uh, a lot of in the last three or four years. Again, like we talked about previously, a lot of uh, news about uh, how she's being held against her will, right? Uh, That she's a fully functioning, capable adult. Maybe she has some mental health challenges, but most people in her condition that are making millions of dollars, going on world tours, having a a residency aren't under the conservatorship of their, her dad, right? Or any person. Uh, But she is, and, uh, yeah, but this all came to, to light with a, like a podcast uh, episode or something, not ours, but one back in 2018 or something, talking about how she's trying to speak out and code to, uh, her via social media. Yeah. Instagram. Have you seen her Instagram?
1: Yeah. I think I used to follow it or I still do. It's a lot of, um, flower emojis.
0: A lot of dancing. Uh, I mean, she's still doing that black, uh, eyeliner makeup. Thing. Wait, hold on, okay.
1: you did your homework, and that's the most you got out of the documentary. Oh, I feel like you're glossing over okay
0: let what do you, what do you want to talk about with this documentary?
1: Uh, <laughs> no, I wanted you to watch it because you had such strong opinions when brittany um as you said, gave it all away because she was um what what did you say she gave it all away, and for she let herself lose it all.
0: I feel, uh, I still stand by some of that stuff. Like I, I think she, uh, looking back, I, I think she was taken advantage of. Um, I do feel that, uh, she lost her way. Uh, some of it was, uh, seems like drug related, some of it, alcohol related, some of it mental health and maybe mental health issues or what kind of spurred the drug and alcohol. Um, but that said, she was put under a lot of pressure as a kid. Um, some of the things that she did, um, how she presented in certain interviews, um, how she uh, interacted with her children. Um, I mean, that got a lot of attention and I was very critical at the time. Yeah, I, I think, you know, she I compare her to someone like Gaga, which is an unfair comparison, right? Gaga different or Beyonce or Jennifer Lopez. You know, she she's praised up there as one of these divas. Uh, and those women are, all started about the same time, music wise. And, you know, Britney's still around, but she hasn't maintained the same level of intensity. She's up there on a stage doing a mm-hmm. tour, and I think it's much. She doesn't have the same pop that she did, uh, you know, 20 years ago. Granted, it was 20 years ago, but you still see JLo and Gaga and Beyonce doing those same sort of things.
1: And she's still one of the greatest superstars of all time. Yeah. I mean, she's got this whole. <laughs> I just I feel for her because. Here she is a human being, and people are always like, we need more from you. Why can't you be like Beyonce? Why can't you be like Lady Gaga? Why can't you dance better for us? Why can't you be better for us? And I think a lot of the reason she has such loyal fans or so many people that identify with her is because she's not this little perfect specimen that's robotic almost. She's not Madonna, which Madonna's gotten very sad because she's so, um, to me, and I love Madonna, But she's gotten it's gotten so sad because she's just Madonna is a product that she's selling at all times. And she's do you take do you like this product? How about in 2021? Do you like this version of Madonna? Do you like this? Like, love me, love me, love me. And I don't think that's perfection. I think there's a lot you give up as a human being to to give that level of um, neediness you yeah. Know, she, she's bowing down before her crowds. Madonna. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, Madonna,
0: Gaga, Beyonce. Yeah. All of them. J Lo.
1: But I think with Britney, a reason why a lot of people like to leave Britney alone, <laughs> boy, that became famous in 2007, or the people who um, go to all Britney's court hearings and have signs that say free Britney is because there is strength and vulnerability, I think. And I think there's. Um, you can sympathize and understand someone who shows vulnerability versus only their positives, like a uh, Beyonce and Madonna.
0: Yeah, I guess what what you know you say she's not trying to, but I I feel her performances, the the show she puts on, is definitely still a. An attempt to be old Britney. Um, all the moves are the same. All the outfits are the same. And so for for us to say, well, she's not trying to. She trying to be that. Versus like a Mariah Carey or uh, or an Ariana Grande who know their their limitations in terms or Gwen Stefani. They know they're not dancers, so they do. They put on a different show. She's still trying to be sexy. Move the hair. But what the is the goal?
1: Is the goal to um, get unlimited, never-ending, younger, younger fans. Britney needs three-year-old fans, so in 30 years they could be obsessed with No, but with she's still it. dressing no, what, the same but way. But what I'm saying is it works songs. for Britney, Britney, and she's um, dealing with her own stuff. It's yes. like I don't think she needs to be anyone's ideal of a perfect diva.
0: Why can't no, she just be
1: Britney? She could do whatever she wants. But see, the but, conversation we're having right now is I think why part of her snapped. And it's not the only reason. But it's why, a lo- that's a lot of pressure. It's why you have a Judy Garland that um, overdosed at 47. It's because you We got a million people saying, you failed me because you're wearing the same outfits as you did when I was in my 20s and I'm now in my 30s and I need more from you. Or I love all your music. What are you going to do now next for me? You know, it just becomes you're a, a, a product and a money making, like it's never good enough, you're always working for your next song. It would make me snap.
0: Yeah, I, I guess I just don't know what the, uh, is it's not an artistic maturity. Um, I still like her songs, but it's the same, it's the same baby voice, uh, Britney, right? So it, again, it's not a, I, I'm a fan, as I said, when I covered her, uh i i am on team britney i've evolved where i was very critical uh 15 years ago when she was doing all the stuff that i mentioned uh i still maintain like she surrounded herself with the wrong people uh because i feel like they could have helped you know you steer her clear um and and i think that's that's part of it it's just you know being surrounded by the the right network um of people now
1: does she let you down by doing that
0: well, I mean, I'm not personally let down. I mean, just as a fan of, of Britney, I would have, I want to see them continue to do well. Um,
1: do but I, are you a fan if you criticize the fact that she's? Yeah, I can slipping.
0: I can criticize some. I mean, some of the like Joe. Well, that's a critic. For, though. But I can still be a fan. You can still be a fan and be like, well, that wasn't their best album, but that's okay. And i, I I'm on Team Britney. I want her to do well. I do feel. I, um badly about the way folks have treated her and then the myself included kind of fell into some of the narrative that was being shared i mean the way she was presented on tv the way she was talked down to by uh barbara was a barbara uh, diane sawyer rosie o'donnell uh you know a number of of um talk show hosts who are trying to you know slut shame her pretty much um it's just sad talking about her virginity and, you know, her, you know what she did to poor Justin. It's like, oh, really? I think
1: it's a lesson that we all need to not jump on the bandwagon when that's going on because there were a whole lot of people doing that as if it was a funny, cute thing to do. And it was always very, to me, sad. Like I saw a very sad, damaged, alone, vulnerable person. So I hope we've learned as a society our lesson, but I don't think we have. We never really do. We no, kick them when they're down.
0: I mean, I think they need support too, right? I mean, it's it's a uh, it. Um, they need to be some. Uh, they should pull you, themselves you, up by the bootstraps. No, you j- you just see some celebrities. They crack. Mariah Carey was one of those examples, right? She she had a, a moment where she she cracked as well, and it was just. Uh, sometimes you're surrounding yourself with the wrong people who are just like feeding into the hype and telling you you're great, you're great. Versus telling you like, hey take a break. Like you've been through a lot. Uh, and people like that, like a Mariah, like a Britney, uh, like a, a, um, a Beyonce, uh, they like Gaga, they just keep going because they want more. Uh, they enjoy it. It's something, you know, part of their art, part of who they are. Um, well,
1: they're also products. So they're being told to do that by their record companies and their everyone that, that makes money off of them, what they have to do.
0: Yeah, see, that's the thing too. Like with Britney, I feel. I mean, I know it it was pretty evident that she does make a lot, a a lot of the calls. uh, But I feel like again, uh, uh, I mentioned the the three I keep mentioning: Gaga, Beyonce, J Lo, Madonna. They have more creative control. I feel like, and obviously Britney doesn't because she's under conservatorship. But I feel like she doesn't have that same control. She's not managing her own career, uh, calling the shots. Um, And again. That's obvious. Not since her uh, right. daddy took over But I don't even know if she was then I mean I guess again the documentary That we're talking about will say that she was calling the it was shots It's just a Well I, I just It doesn't seem she's I mean she says she calls the shots I call the shots But this is making you very <laughs> Angry
1: No not angry I thought you I thought you would have
0: um, what would it what would be the response that you're looking for 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 me
1: oh i'm not looking for a, i thought you would watch a documentary out of all the and saw yourself and justin timberlake and diane sawyer and had m- massive regret and then you would have helped free britney with me.
0: <laughs> you wanna, all our hashtags on our social media are going to be free britney uh, I thought it was interesting to just see. I'm amazed by people who become, and this is me, a huge Selena fan, uh, would be, you know, going to show up with signs and again, yelling, as you noted outside of the courtroom to be like free Britney for a woman. They don't know. Uh, but, you know, so passionate about um, her and, you know, the, uh, the fact that she's being held against her will as they believe. Um, and I think I, I believe as well. So it's, um, it is, uh, it's just, it's interesting that that people are motivated to do that. Especially mm-hmm. there were people doing that during this past year during the pandemic
1: for a girl who won't update her costumes.
0: <laughs> I feel she did stuff <laughs> for fo- those fans that you know at a time in their life when they needed to be inspired by Britney and she did just that. So that's good. What do you what would you No, for real, what would you like me to to have a aha moment. You're saying you would have liked me to be like um
1: it's not that I need something. It's just that the whole documentary is about the way people treat her as if she's um, supposed to be something that we need. And it's like a double edged sword of uh, we need you to be sexy, but not too sexy. We need you to be um, innocent, but we need you to be sexual at the same time. We need you to be all these things. And it's kind of like, that's always going to tear somebody apart. And then when she's, starts to get married and have her own kids we say you're a terrible mother and it's you know all the reasons we love you make you a terrible mom and um when, when should we have the boyfriend that we want you to have and yours isn't good enough it's like ugh, that'd make me snap yeah so i think to see people still falling into that trap actually scares me for not just her but a lot of other
0: well you're saying people that's that's me <laughs> that you're saying i i I don't know i just i don't uh, i think she was taken advantage of i do think she's under a lot of pressure um
1: but what if she wasn't taken advantage of and she just had an emotional illness or a a snap or something would you still um expect her to be the career woman that you need her to be for your um Friday night club hopping or whatever you do? <laughs> uh bedroom music wherever
0: No, yeah, i mean I don't, I don't care i mean i at this point i'm a 41 year old man so i don't I, I and i even still when i was having critiques about britney in my 20s uh it was never a matter of like oh she's such a bad person it was just like i i look at it like a it's like she has a product she's putting out a product right and so and she knows as a music every musician is and so it's like are you putting out the as best a child product? star think, yes yep yeah. So, are you putting out the best product? That was my critique. It was it was not it was more of a, a personal brand is she and so it was not like And a, I think
1: when she was at her low point, a lot of people were like your product is slipping. You're you're damaging your brand. You're um your product and you're hurting my money. I
0: just I just remember watching. To me the the one moment besides the MTV Give Me More performance uh, where she she bombed on that one. Uh, it was the, there was a, an interview with Matt Lauer where she was just, she, I think she, she was wearing this like unfitted shirt and it was, she was just hunched over. She looked like she was in a bad place. And that's kind of my, it was just like, oh, why are you putting yourself through that? It's more of that. It's not like, how dare she do that? It's like, why are, I mean, if you're struggling, then don't, don't do the, like, she's got to say no. Right. And, and, but you're saying no, oh, what am I missing?
1: I just wish there'd be some more humanity and like how we talk about her or and not just her she's like a representation of how, when people are damaged and crying for help or not even crying for help just need to be left alone or um there's just people didn't view her they viewed her as they wanted wished she had been instead of as a woman who had just had two kids who was going through a divorce who had we if you watch the documentary, you see that she could not leave her house without paparazzi. Yeah, I was uh, surrounding I her all the time. It's just for to even talking about someone's career. What I need from them at that moment, I I need better music from you. I need you to maintain your image for me and my sake, is what it feels like. And I just
0: but that's not what I'm saying. I mean, if that's what you're getting away—that—that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, as a as a someone who's interested, like who sees whether it's a politician or a musician, like they're putting out this this. This is their product, right? Uh, I'm a business owner. I put out a product like you want it to be a certain way. I get what you're saying, that you know, there's a lot of suits telling her what to do. And I guess if I were her friend, I would have been like, let's stay home. Let's, let's get away. Let's not do these interviews. We'll delay the record for another time until you feel like you're ready to do it and to put your all into it.
1: I think the maybe the big difference is that you're uh, thinking of the people around her. I'm thinking of her as the human, the lonely, sad, you know, like, who does she go to? Um well this is one feeling saying. alone Go find all those that people. kind of and there's I don't have any expectation for her in that moment of like um that's a really unfortunate sad situation and i don't be one want to be one of the people that laughing at her from the sidelines.
0: I felt bad for her i didn't I wasn't laughing I felt like I i'm felt not talking I'm yeah. not
1: berating well, you I'm but, just trying to have a conversation <laughs> yeah, about why I think there are two viewpoints of people who saw um, Brittany and view Brittany, it's kind of like, Oh, haha. You almost like shading for it.
0: Oh yeah. Like all the late night. I mean, she was the punchline of every, everything. Right. I mean,
1: but um, when you do that, when you make her a punchline, um, or willing to point at her and laugh so easily, it's because you felt like I own a little piece of you. You know, that's what I feel to. Whereas if you're sympathetic to her misery, it's kind of, um, the inverse could be showing a sense of respect for I don't want to be a part of the people that are kicking her while she's down
0: yeah I mean that's a fair (laughs) fair assessment uh yeah all right Britney Spears uh what's the name of the documentary again
1: framing Britney Spears.
0: Well, I feel like we've had this conversation multiple times and we're just getting in a do loop because I'm like, I'm, I feel like I'm agreeing with you, but I feel like you're saying I don't agree with you. So it's like, oh, we could we could have a four hour episode on this, on just Britney Spears, but we're trying to talk about other things. One thing we should talk about is uh, how a recent Gallup poll shows that Americans have reported feeling stress, worry, and anger at the highest levels in over a decade. And while we're growing more and more aware of the effects of stress on our bodies and minds, we may not have considered the effects that our stress may have on our pets. According to a 2019 study, there's a synchronization between stress hormones in humans and their dogs. And if you're a dog parent, you probably know that your pup is very good at reading your body language and you can quickly pick up on how you're feeling. We're always working to reduce our stress in any way we can, but what about the anxiety we may have passed on to our dogs? Bake Bones has a solution. CBD has been shown to help reduce stress and anxiety in both humans and dogs. And Baked Bones has your dog covered. Made from organic, human-grade ingredients and full-spectrum hemp oil, their bones may offer some relief to your anxious pup. You can check out BakedBones.com for more information on CBD for dogs and other benefits it may provide. Baked Bones offers free shipping on all orders over $25, and you can save save 15% using the promo code GAYSTUFF15. Baked Bones is LGBTQ-owned and operated and is based in Houston, Texas. Baked Bones is now available at Menorite Mercantile based in Houston and in Austin. That's a store that you can go shop at in Houston and Austin. Baked Bones proudly donates 10% of all of its profits to no kill shelters in the U.S. Baked Bones, baked dogs happy.
1: Meow. Meow,
0: meow. All right, so you got a
1: slang bang. Slang bang. Trademarked. Uh, so this week's slang bang is appropriate to my topic. And it is the word mopping.
0: Is that a dirty word? You tell me what you think it is. Is that what you do after your bottom leaks some?
1: No, but I'll tell you what my husband thought this week, which I thought was cute. We, uh, (laughs) someone, he read a meme. We were in bed. So we're in, sometimes we're about 730 at night. I'm reading my little articles and he's on Reddit or reading his little memes <laughs> and he he read something. He said, "Listen to this, honey." He said, "I was today today years old when I realized a pad wasn't dry uh, applied directly to the vagina." And he said, "Wait, it's not put on it like a band aid." <laughs> he thought women wear pads just like a band aid, <laughs> like you paste it directly to the hoo-ha.
0: Guess what? I'm today years old when I realized that. Did too. you really? I'm just kidding. Yeah, you did. No.
1: Um and I, I thought dated that the was women's. hilarious. But no, it's not that type of mopping. Okay. So mopping is a slang for in ball culture. Ball culture. <laughs> which is not a term I could ever say. Ball culture. Is that right? <laughs> is that how y'all say it?
0: Oh my gosh. You sound worse when you try to say that. <laughs> ball culture. <laughs> what what accent is that when you do that? Ball culture. Louisiana like
1: Britney? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't hate on me too. But free Kendall uh, so mopping is in ball culture. <laughs> uh, so it's stealing. So if you're going to mop an outfit, you have a ball to perform in. And let's say it's, um, of realness and you have to, you can't afford that dress. So you just mop it. Mop it. You just mop it up. The. <laughs> So it's uh, slang, it's a LGBT slang, but specifically in ball culture, it's uh, mopping to steal. So how would you say it? Um, in a sentence. We go mopping at the ball, bitch. We go mop that dress up. We go mop
0: that dress up. Uh, that was used in, uh, I feel like, in uh, Paris is Burning, huh?
1: Used in Paris is Burning and used in Pose, and I think pose. on the first episode, oh, which is pose. the only one I've seen.
0: Uh, yes, mop. They oh. went to mop, mop. I was like, I remember hearing that term, so that's what it means. All right, very cool. Mopping. All right. Well, do we want to segue into your topic? Speaking of uh, mopping.
1: Well, I chose mopping and ball culture because my topic uh, this week is n- Willie Ninja, and have you've heard of Willie Ninja, right? No. Okay. Well, Willie Ninja was born William Roscoe bleak on april 12th 1961 in queens and he is considered the grandfather of voguing who made his start in the harlem ball culture
0: how many times are you gonna say ball culture now? it's
1: very difficult i've been saying it for years and i just can't say it i can say balls <coughs> but not ball culture but uh so what do you know about ball culture
0: um, it's where uh drag queens performers uh will come to I guess it's not just drag queens, it's drag kings too, right? Uh drag performers, rather, uh will come to a uh competition and uh dress and certain give you certain styles or certain lurks like business professionals. Okay, like
1: well it's not an eighties shopping mall fashion show.
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> um although they would have been mopping there at the same time. All right. Ball culture is, uh, it's popularized, now we know it from seeing Paris is Burning and the show Pose, the Ryan Murphy show Pose on Netflix. Uh, it's been around 150 years, uh, but it's a culture of mostly black and Latino LGBT who walk uh, in competitions for trophies. And walking is, um, let's say the competition is, high fashion evening wear, which I think was one from uh, Paris is Burning, to where their, the contestants will walk down in their most elegant, high fashion evening wear, and whoever was the most convincing uh, would get a trophy for it. What What do you mean
0: by convincing? Like look the most woman? Uh, the
1: most entertaining, the most fashionable, the most true to the topic, so is it evening wear? Is it actually, you know, because if you're wearing a dress with combat boots, you might think it's edgy. But the judges are going to be like, no boo, that ain't even a win.
0: It, it depends, right? I mean, sometimes it depends on how you 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 wear it, right? And you see this on on RuPaul's Drag Race because sometimes you can interpret, you can do it an in interpretation of something. that can be over the top, uh, and if you can, you have the confidence to pull it off, then you could potentially win, even though it's not exact. It could be a play on the words or the category, but. Um, sometimes people, you know, you could Well, they
1: used to be more strict. So if you have ever seen Paris is Burning, the documentary, the topics uh, or the categories, the MC was so strict. He, um, I forget the guy's name, and impose. It's played by Billy Porter, uh, the MC. But in Paris is Burning, the the host, someone came out wearing, and I think the the category was evening wear. And she didn't have a handbag. And he say, it is known that a woman do wear an evening bag at dinner time. (laughs) But they're so strict as the perception. She said, you see it on the 5 o'clock news. You see it on Channel 7. You see it. Uh, Because it was so true to what they envisioned that topic to be. Now, in ball culture now, in 2021, are they allowing you a little more freedom? Maybe. I don't know. But... Um, but I guess my point is in like, the time of Billy Ninja,
0: it, it's not always the uh, the Louis Vuitton bag, right? I mean, that sometimes it's fashion. Well, if they mop it. But sometimes it it is the the you know the eight foot you know bag that's bigger than life, right? It's just kind of it's bigger than a person. You carry that in like it, there's an exaggerated element to to drag too that camp, you know, yeah, that people like.
1: Yeah, exaggerated, true. I don't know if it's exaggerated in the sense of like a, a huge purse, like Gia Gunn did. Right. right. Um,
0: That's what I'm thinking. I'm like, Gia Gunn's purse and. But
1: it saying? is, the whole scene, yes, is very exaggerated, which is Voguing, which we'll get into. Um, but these balls allowed them to act, and they've been around since the 1800s. They allowed them to act out of fantasy and a kind of escapism that they were not experiencing in their own world. Um, if you're a minority and gay, especially when Willie Ninja was at his peak, eighties and nineties. Um, if you're a minority kid growing up poor, you're not seen as you're you're excluded from a lot of that lifestyle. So when the topics are evening wear or um femme queen realness, it's a a, a lot of it is take me to a place where I'm like the greatest in a an arena that I'm not welcome in. Uh, which is very fascinating.
0: Well, you think about it for for men, for example, right, gay men. I mean, they didn't have role models to, to look up to, right? I mean, so it was often exaggerated. It was these, you know, uh, Alexis Carrington, you know, Judy Garland types who were strong women because you weren't looking up to straight men to be like, I want to be like this jerk who's a homophobe right. and beats his wife. exactly. And, and so it was like, I want to be a you strong You identify
1: woman. with the, the feminine women that... Um,
0: would take you under their wing.
1: That wanted that strong, sexy man. And they
0: were all, but were also, you know, vulnerable, but, you know, nice to you because they were going through their own struggle. They know what it was like to struggle.
1: Well, Willie grew up in this culture and in these, in the ball culture competitions, you had a house and the mother of the house um, was the most senior one, basically, that mentored and taught all of her drag children. She's a drag mother. And the biggest um, scene that came out of ball culture is voguing where voguing we've all heard of it because Madonna popularized the dance but it was dancers would pose like they were on the cover of Vogue uh, and when the music music stopped is when they would pose as if like stop and that was like their pose for the color of uh, the cover of Vogue and it was very exaggerated model like poses and when it really started or uh, well, when it first started it was Two people, typically, two rivals, dance rivals in a club that did not like each other. And they would try to outdance each other. And then when the music stopped, they were supposed to have their best Vogue pose. Um, and then that this stuff was going on in the underground ball culture, subculture, um, that really became popularized in the 80s and 90s. And the face of this was the topic tonight, Willie Ninja. And Willie grew up in Queens. Raised by his black mother, but he was also, mostly from his dad's side, had Cherokee, Irish, Asian. He was a very androgynous, um, we would back then we would say exotic-looking character. And he started dancing at a young age of seven. His mom, he was different from a lot of the people, the other people in Paris is Burning, because his mom was very accepting of him. And he said, I never came out to my mom because I never had to come out. It was always apparent that mom knew. He said, all the mothers always know. (laughs) Um, He said, she knew and she loved me. And they lived together for her entire life since he was born. He took care of her. Um, But he was dancing at a very young age. And then as a teenager, he would dance in Washington Square Park uh, where the gays would have competitions. They would learn new dance moves. They would gather. And he started being uh, recognized for his voguing at a like as a teenager and he wasn't the first voguer at the time (laughs) voguer at the time but he created his own style to where he became known for um there's the old way of doing vogue which is like very graceful and slow and very feminine and he started to popularize the new way of doing vogue which was um very sharp movements and very like bending unnatural movements almost who wasn't graceful it was like wow how does his body do that um which was something that set him apart from a lot of other people also his his influences were hieroglyphics which you can tell if you've ever seen him in paris is burning you can tell you exactly know what that is you know the Hieroglyphics meaning the Egyptian drawings, um, uh, young Michael Jackson, Fred Astaire, gymnastics and Asian culture to where he so much of that, uh, the Asian culture aspect to where people started calling him Willie Ninja. They kind of gave him the last name Ninja because he was so heavily influenced by Asian culture um, and martial arts. And he even started doing a, he was a little group called Video Pretenders. He would go to Neiman Marcus uh, and Macy's. He would go to the department stores. And back then in the 80s, they were playing uh, catwalk videos of women supermodels. Yeah. And in the department stores, and he would just go watch in the department stores and watch them do catwalks, and he would learn. And uh, he would mimic them, and that's a lot of the, education he got on how to vogue and how to act as um pretty much a runway model was watching these women in on videos and department stores and in 19 by 1982 he had moved from queens to manhattan and he'd been dancing in the park for years and he started at that point he started the house of ninja uh now, back then, in the the ball culture,
0: ball culture, to
1: be a drag mother or the mother of a house, they called it. Uh, you had to win three grand prizes, which is like the biggest prize of a night of um, at a ball, out of the competition. So,
0: just like so, we've had uh, this discussion before uh, with uh, with drag, but the mother of a house that is the uh, you're saying you has to win three competitions. And basically, starts. Well, to... you have
1: to be in a house already, and then you have to win three grand prizes. And then you can found your own house. And it's a long slog from there because you have to, like, recruit people into your house. You have to say why you're the best. You have to kind of build a team. And back then, you wanted to build a broad, like, you wanted to win lots of different categories. So they. Um, it was a very determined, big deal to start your own house. Now.
0: And if you had a house, then what?
1: Then you can compete. You can compete. And then you can win, snatch the trophies.
0: And if you're the mother of a house, you are basically helping your little dragon. You're
1: the matriarch. So you. It's best exemplified, I think, in pose nowadays, where it's you're. If they're still in school, you're telling them to go to school. If they have a job, you're keeping them in their job. If uh, you're dealing with runaways, you become their de facto family, their mom that they never had. You're really taking care of people and you're um, bailing them out of the jail if if you need to. You're, if they're sick, if they have AIDS, um, which a lot of them did in the 80s, then you're making sure they take the medicine. It's like a true mother in that sense because the people that were drawn to this culture A lot of times, were runaways. They were juvenile delinquents, um, and they really only had each other.
0: And you helped them with their drag, right? You gave them the style and inspired, helped you. Told
1: them how to do makeup. You told them how to dance. You told them how to really to perform, right? um, And stage presence. So Willie Ninja did not come from a drag house. um, Did not win three grand prizes, but started the House of Ninja. And uh, that's when the Asian influence really picked up even more. And he said they started—they really started calling me the Hustle Ninja because we came out of nowhere. We were very stealth because we started winning the trophies very early. And it was one of the few very multiracial houses. And they even had white people up in there. White people? No. That's,
0: uh, I mean, that's actually pretty significant because there wasn't, I mean, the houses, I mean, because of everything you described, I mean, it's like a little mafia-esque type thing. I mean, well, they
1: would have been viewed suspiciously. Yeah. Um, but in 1986, while he's in the drag culture scene, a filmmaker started filming them, um, started doing a documentary on ball culture and on voguing in Harlem and followed them for five years. Uh, actually, uh, yeah, four years, almost five years. They followed several now-iconic characters, Willy Ninja, Venus Extravaganza, Peppa La Beige, uh, um Peppa in the documentary known as Paris is Burning. And it was re- released in 1990. Uh, but before it was actually released in 1989, Malcolm McLaren, who was a British uh, impresario, visual artist, singer, performer, uh, got a hold of some footage of Paris is Burning. And was instantly inspired by Voguing, and in 1989 he created a dance single called single called Deep in Vogue, and he flew out Willie Ninja to London to record vocals and be in his video and to tour with him. Oh. So Willie was getting he was having a documentary following him. He was ask, he was international artists asking him to tour with him. He was in the music video really this i watched the the music video today he was very much the center of it so he was becoming uh and it, that first of all that video was a number one dance hit uh, and it was a year before madonna's vogue video, video so it was the first to take and it was called deep in vogue first to take vogue mainstream so he was getting a name for himself um in the voguing scene which was still underground culture but becoming big
0: That's, so, was he the one who inspired uh, Madonna's Vogue video?
1: He was a big part of it.
0: Or was it Michelle Visage? Isn't well, he says? went. So, in
1: 1990, when Paris' uh, Burning came out, he actually went to the premiere with Madonna. Madonna went to the premiere of uh, Paris' is Burning, and the press was all over the place because uh, Madonna was there.
0: That's a big deal because, I mean, this was a little, you know, small film that wasn't. Get, it wasn't like widely released at the
1: time no no one really knew and
0: and so for you had to have one of the biggest pop stars in the world the biggest at
1: that time yeah her and michael
0: uh to go to this event that's that's crazy
1: well and and willie said it later in life in the 2000s he said at the time i wanted to be nothing but the world's biggest superstar star but at that premiere i saw how many photographers would not leave Madonna alone. And she could not, she was watched the entire time. He said, this is not for me. I want to be famous, but I don't want to be that famous. Um, so that was a 1990. Um, that same year he was in, asked to be in Janice Jackson video called all right from Rhythm Nation. And he was also in the escapade video. Yes. Mm. Okay. Um, and then 1994, he released hot, his own single all right. but he was the very much it boy it was the same time RuPaul was coming up Mm -hmm. and RuPaul was this who is this person we've never seen anybody like this there were a lot of people coming out of and not long after that because the mid-90s it was the club kids Um, there was a lot happening in New York and I think he benefited from that Um, but he started teaching models how to do the runway walk too Huh. He taught um, Naomi Candle, K- Naomi Campbell how to walk. He taught Christy Turlington how to walk. Um he taught eventually Paris Hilton <laughs> how to walk and he had, did not have kind words to say about her. He gave an interview where he said she showed up um, for my advice. She refused to put her little dog down. He said I asked him, Which is that? How much is that thing you're holding?" She said $4,000. And he said she was so awkward. And she was trying not to seem awkward and look awkward. That it made her even more awkward. You know, like she needed to let loose. Mm -hmm. Um, So he was not impressed by her. But he also is known now and a lot of the things you read about him was the guy that taught Ferris Hilton how to walk. I don't know
0: if that's a... I mean, most of the time when I see her walking, she... I know.
1: I didn't understand that. But I think it was because when he died she was still one of the biggest stars in the world. So it was like
0: what'd she walk like before? Busted.
1: On her hands and knees.
0: Busted.
1: Uh but he started being a runway model himself in Jean Paul Jean Paul Gautier's uh shows and he started professionally dancing. He had never been professionally trained, but he started professional uh, dancing under really uh big name troops and in 2004 he had his own modeling agency called uh, elements of ninja eon eon and then there was he was in a drag documentary or not drag documentary ball culture documentary uh that they followed balls from 1996 to 2006 and it was called how do i look And it was a 10-year documentary uh, following uh those participating in balls in philly and new york and he said at this point, he'd already been known for Paris is Burning. It was the second documentary he is in. And he said, if, Mon- if Madonna does voguing, it's okay. But when the ball children dance, even now, people said, oh, it's a bunch of crazy queens throwing themselves on the floor. So he got it. There was a lot of... He even got um, pushback by mainstreaming, in the sense, ball culture. Because he was in the, the biggest documentary. He kind of exposed to world the world to this, what these people were doing on the weekends to entertain themselves and to reward themselves. And then all of a sudden you have these prying eyes coming in and Madonna making it her own thing. She got a lot of backlash of like, you have nothing to do with that culture and you came in and you just took it. And now who's known for voguing? People think Madonna invented voguing. Right. And she did not. But it reminded me of the, also the, the talk we have about drag queens, because even when I started coming out in the year 2000, drag queens were considered, it was almost like a fetish. Mm -hmm. It's not a fetish. but the time it was like, oh, some people are into dressing up as women's clothes. right? And we can laugh at them. Yeah, we can laugh at them and enjoy it, but it just seems like, I don't know what mental illness that is there were obviously a lot of people that um, understood it and appreciated it, but it was not the norm. Right. You didn't really see them very much. It was each city had a few drag queens uh, that were doing it. And then RuPaul came out with his RuPaul's Drag Race. And now it's so mainstream that you hear a lot of people saying uh, you took a lot of the subversive underground aspect. Lady Bunny says this all the time of drag culture and made it disney yeah. To where now, moms are bringing their eight, nine year old kid to a mm-hmm. drag show, and it's like this. I don't think your kid should be here.
0: Well, I I I think uh, that uh, I mean th- to some extent that's right, right? You're you're losing. I mean, this happens with all of. I mean, this is uh, if we want to do a a commentary on globalization and that sort of stuff. I mean, and the the use of technology like. Those sorts of things are, are basically breaking down all sorts of barriers. In one instance, it's it's good, right? We're celebrating drag queens and the art of drag. Um, and and now expanding that to, I mean, again, talking about the this season of RuPaul's Drag Race, season 13, um, you've got a, a trans man on there. So, uh, you know, some progress. We're opening the doors, but the same side, they, we are, uh, you know, we're tainting it a, a little bit, right? I mean, it's becoming very uh, it's hard to have the grit that it did before. It's all, it's a lot, po- a lot of polish. Right. Um, and that's, that's, you know, that affects the art, right. Uh, when you start to, I mean, part of the art and the beauty of the art, uh, especially early on is the, the vulnerability, the grit, uh, the blood, sweat, and tears. And when it's uh, glossed over Disney fight, I think, like you said, um, it, uh, it loses some of the uniqueness.
1: I do think RuPaul has done a good job um, naming queens who are so different from each other, which highlights that drag queens aren't just one type of person, like the supermodel look or the freaky look. You have Sharon Needles, who's completely different from Bianca Del Rio, who's so different from Jinx Monsoon, who's so different from Tyrus. Ant- you know, he's really shown that there's a whole huge different range of uh, drag
0: yeah, I mean that uh but it it's it come a long way from when Willy Ninja was uh developing Vogue. huh? Uh.
1: But they've had a few contestants on that show that came from drag culture. I mean ball culture. Um which ball culture is a <coughs> and drag culture are very intertwined. So Willy Ninja um became very known as they're probably the biggest breakout star of Paris is Burning, teaching mo- yeah. supermodels how to walk, having his own modeling agency. And then uh, on September 2nd, 2006, he died of uh, AIDS-related heart failure. And many, many people on Paris' burning died of AIDS-related causes, which is so sad. I mean, the 80s is like a huge decade of just hundreds of thousands of gays dying.
0: Yeah, it gutted a whole uh, generation of of gay men. Uh, It's very sad. Uh, that's, uh, it, it, it kind of runs parallel to, uh, to my topic. Oh, okay. We'll get into that. but uh, before we do, we'd like to thank our sponsor. <coughs> economy works. You ever heard of economy works? A few times. <coughs> yeah. We'd like to thank our sponsor. Economy works. If you need help with marketing, hire a freelancer. Need help with building a website, hire a freelancer. If you need help with benchmarking and analysis and analysis, hire a freelancer. Economy works believes in the power of connection and wants to connect you with its talent network. The talent network has over 1000 years of experience and it's growing in HR, marketing, IT, accounting and other specialties. Economy Works, when we work, the economy works. You can find out more at economyworks.com. That's economiwork s.com. Uh, whether, uh, I, I, I like your topic. I like, uh, learning, uh, more about, uh, about, uh, our, our, our guy, Willie Ninja, because I, 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 didn't know a lot about him. Like I said, I, once you started talking about him, I was like, Oh, the name sounds familiar, but, um, yeah, I didn't know a lot. So it was good, good to know the the founder of Vogue and then just the legacy he's, he's led since then. Um, I think, um, also a really, uh, I think timely, uh, one, uh, topic giving it's, you know, February and we're in uh, black history month. I also have a, uh, a African American, uh, uh, dancer, uh, and uh, his name is bill T Jones. He was born on February 15th, 1952. He's a choreographer, dancer, and director. You ever heard of him? Mm Um, it's interesting that you have I'm, i know you've seen him because well, i will talk about a little bit later and you'll be like oh maybe i do um so he um what's said about him is he he shows us he's again a, a dancer he shows us that art should be difficult this is what, what's been said out of, uh, about him he shows us that art should be difficult it in, and increases our comprehension of what it's like to be recipients of the arts and so w- but all that to say is what he does with his dance and the and the numbers that he helps craft are are really uh, political in in nature. Uh, We think about dance and we think about, to use our favorite divas, Beyonce, D- J-Lo, and Gaga. Uh, but really, there's an art- Brittany. Brittany, there's an artistic expression to it. Uh, in the dance world, he's one of the most discussed and celebrated artists uh, in his business. He's got eight honorary doctorates. So um, he's been doing lots of speeches and talking about his good works. Uh, but people recognize him for, for what he does. Uh, in terms of his awards, he is a National Medal of Arts and Kennedy Center Honors recipient. He's won two Tony Awards. Uh, Dorothy and Lillian Gish Prize and MacArthur Fellowship. I thought it was most interesting because this Bill T. Jones is still alive. If you, if you look at the bio on his webpage, um, he, the first award that's listed is the Human Rights Campaign, the HRC 2016 Visibility Award. So uh, I, point being, he celebrates, he fully embraces that he's a black queer man. Um, and, uh, and you know, for, for I listed all those awards, not to be like the, the long list of awards, but the fact that he again listed the HRC one, I thought was pretty, pretty notable. Um his work his, his dance his choreography that he develops is is uh is about identity it's about belonging and it's very as i mentioned earlier political he grew up he was born in florida but grew up in new york his his parents were migrant farmers so they would go you know depending on the season they would you know travel up and and down the uh uh the us to to support the farming efforts uh he did not grow up well off he was you know though uh, growing up as a you know a, a, in a struggling family um, he was m- not surrounded around uh, by a lot of people that looked like him uh, and so that was obviously you know he again he was born in the 50s so being a, a black and gay man uh, or gay boy uh, at the time like these were things that you know he was different. Um, you know, he, just in terms of the racial tensions that were, were present at the time, like his aunts, uh, told him when he was young, if you marry a white woman like your brother did, you won't be allowed back here. Uh, so, um, back in Florida. So it was just, again, a very, um, tense time. Would you
1: marry a white woman and never have to go back to Florida again?
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Even though he was gay, right? Um, he, uh, he went to, tr- uh, to college on a track scholarship. Uh, and then uh, that's when things changed. He took a dance class and uh, the, a quote that I liked about him, he took the dance class and, and, and while in college and he changed from a runner to a flyer. He, he was changed from running to flying. Um, and the, the dance class was significant because, again, he, he found his passion in, in, in dance, uh, but also fell in love with a guy named, a fellow classmate named Arnie Zane. Um, and uh the two instantly connected um both dancers the interesting thing about arnie is uh you know you've got uh, you've got bill bill who's a uh very you know slender mu- you know muscular black man uh, and you've got go on <laughs> you've got arnie who's a italian jewish 5'4 white dude right i'm listening uh, so um but the two fell in love uh, and they were Um, like instantly connected by their passion for each other and their passion for dance. Uh, they went to Amsterdam for a few years and then they came back to the States, um, and really started to, um, make a name for himself, make a name for themselves. The two were, uh, rule breakers in the sense that again, you had a, a black man and a white man. Both openly gay, both dancers. Uh, As as uh, Bill notes, um, you know, growing up, he says, at least amongst his family, like being being gay was one of the, and then being a dancer was most one of the most emasculating things you could do as a man in his community. And so he, um, and he was like unashamed. He he uh, embraced that, and then he embraced his relationship with Arnie. Um, The two were. Again, it's not just the fact that they looked too different, but what they did with dance was also uh, uh, a discussion uh, about body and politics. You had in several instances in the several of the, the scenes they worked together, you had a you know a bill, this black man being raised, being lifted up in the air by, by Arnie, so the small white man. Uh, and it just made people uncomfortable when they would watch that because they didn't know, that's not normally what you did, right? Normally, one, you were lifting women, and two, if anything, you were going to lift a small white dude. Like This was breaking norms, and so um, it was something that was, again, unique uh, for its time. They went on to create a company, which is um, uh, now known as the Bill T. Jones Arn- Arnie Zane Company, uh, and what they described their work is kind of this rock and roll type of of. of, of of dance, not in the sense that it was to rock and roll music, but they were making it up as they went along. They were having fun. They were deconstructing what was normally, you know, perceived as dance, uh, and making it a a youthful rant and rebellion. Um, sadly, Arnie, uh, died of AIDS in 1988, uh, and, and that really took a hit to, to build because they were so close. Um, but he said when the tears stopped, he saw, you know, realized what was going on, that life was throwing down the gauntlet and that he needed to raise, rise to the occasion. So he can, continued with the company uh, that they had and, uh, and he, he sought out to celebrate people as beautiful creatures and, and to celebrate the freedom of you know, embracing your beauty as a person. Uh, he wanted to use dance to come to overcome adversity uh, and he included in his works uh, non, non-dancers. Uh, and, in that he, he would feature heavyset men and women, he would feature them nude, he would feature other, other folks nude. So you had to really embrace, you had to look at some of these things that were not traditionally seen. They weren't the runway models, you know, that we were talking about earlier these were people that didn't fit the the traditional body type of a dancer uh, but he really wanted to and, and you know they would build up the confidence of dan- the dancers to go perform um and he said he did, he wanted to have it an a, an expression of you know you don't have to apologize for the way you look you know the way you look you can you can Oh go I don't. <laughs> uh and so he got some some controversy uh with a one one um a piece of work he put out there, which was called St- still here, uh, which was inspired by his own HIV diagnosis. Uh, but what he did is he, uh, he had met, he had put on some workshops with some terminally, terminally ill people and terminally ill patients. And he brought them into his, his, his act. Um, and he used their movements, uh, to help, you know, Again, these are terminally ill people, so some of them are frail and, and can't move that well, but he used them as part of his, his artwork. Um, some folks, some critics fall, found that pretty appalling because you know, you're know you bringing dying people into your act. And so, therefore, when you're doing that, the, 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 crit- the critic was like, we can't even, you know, you're, we can't criticize you uh, because what are we going to criticize? Your use of people that are terminally ill. He said, you know, You're using this most extreme case um, and and trying to you know represent yourself as victims not artists uh, and and so it was um, it, it was kind of a one moment of controversy I think folks you know and there were other people that agreed with this critic at the time this was in the mid 90s uh, of course with the you know the 2020 wokeness lens I think folks very one they view it differently but they also I fully kind of embraced what he was trying to say and like, Hey, there's pain in this. And this is something that we, we have to deal with. And if it makes you uncomfortable, look at it in the in the face and deal with your own insecurities and uncomfortableness mm-hmm. because this is, this is life. And that's really what a lot of his artwork was about. He, uh, in the two, in the early two thousands, he, he, um, moved to work on Broadway, Uh, And in 2007, he won his first Tony Award for choreography in a uh, a production called Spring Awakening. Uh, What was really valued about the, or inspiring about the work, it was, again, going back to this youthful rebellion. So you think about it, he was born in the 50s. So at this point, what he's in his, uh, he's in his 50s, uh, coming up with this youthful, still has that spark of youthful rebellion uh, spirit about him and his work. Um, he, when he won, when he announced he won, he, he jumped out of his seat. He celebrated, he was kind of dancing all the way down the aisles to, to go pick up the trophy, which was kind of fun to watch. Again, you watching this 50 year old man do that, uh, they asked him like what it felt like. He was like, it's like your first kiss. He's like, it was just pure bliss and amazing. Uh, he won another Tony award in 2010 for a, uh, production called Fila about, uh, Fila Kuti, who's a Nigerian musician. Uh, in this this production, he helped uh, create the musical. He helped write it, direct it, and choreograph it. He even uh, started had a uh, somewhat of a role in it, um, and uh, he won again for choreography. So, two-time Tony winner. Come on. So while he wasn't creating the Vogue, he was, you know, dancing, helping Broadway actors dance.
1: Hey, another gay-related field.
0: Is that one you're going to do next Broadway? Yeah. Choreography critic. You want to be a critic? Teach me. <laughs> <laughs> I I learned from you. I learned from the best. Um, aside from all of his awards and his work, I'd say his, his legacy is kind of captured uh, in the sense that it, it really brought dance and, and social issues to the forefront, like to, it connected them. Um, and he was really trying to connect with people uh, not in the dance world as well. I mean, he knew what he was doing. One of the things he said, he's like, um, as in his early performances and even now, he performs mostly in front of white audiences. And so he knows that all these white people are watching him every move. And he's like, it's something there's something that's. You know, I'm forcing the audience to to do by looking at me, like to confront this black man making these movements, who's obviously uh, a, a gay man as well. Um, and it makes some folks uncomfortable. And he's like, "This is not me. I don't have to feel awkward about this. This is something that you, you know, mm-hmm. is stirring some emotions in you, and you have to you have to deal with with those emotions. Like make something of them." Um, he's intent uh, again on steering. Uh, the conversation toward the uncomfortable uh, and he wants folks to you know walk away with a, an understanding of their feelings of, of the performance he was putting on as well you know what that means to them his dances were uh, designed to get the audience uh, again just kind of thinking uh, and to some instance it's almost an, an intimidation he's like I'm not scared of you you gotta confront the the boogeyman which is your feelings and what's in your heart um, he says uh, he's he he really didn't have folks looking at him because that's that's who he was uh and through his performances he was giving permission to people to to look at him again as a, a you know it's not something that you stare at it would be like a well he is a gay man It's just like looking at someone that you don't identify with that you maybe have a prejudice towards and now you're staring at this person and he's forcing you to look at him because he's the performer like i think there's something pretty profound a, a, about that uh, looking at some of his performances that I watched on, on YouTube, I was, I was pretty amazed. I, uh, I would say when I watched it, uh, like there was the music was powerful. The movement was graceful, um, emotional and, uh, Britney Spears. It was not Brittany Spears. <laughs> Almost toxic. Like, um, one other performance that, you know, that, 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 I'd say was noteworthy was, uh, one that recently put out was called analogy. And, and it just kind of speaks to this work because it's not just about dancing and the music, but it's also like he'll use dialogue in it. So uh, in this analogy uh, work, he had his mother-in-law, uh, he had a interview with, he interviewed his mother-in-law who was a Holocaust survivor. Um, and so he's married to a man, uh, but his mother-in-law was a Holocaust survivor. So he asked questions of her, did a Q and A, and that kind of inspired act one of this analogy. And so throughout the dance movements, those questions are being discussed, uh, through as part of like the, the musical backdrop. Um, and, you know, just about her experience and everything. Uh, and then another act and analogy is about his nephew who was a really talented man was, you know, just as good a a performer, dancer as he was also had a voice. Um, and he unfortunately kind of lost his way to drugs and mental health issues and, and, and wound up dying of AIDS. Um, and so, you know, Bill, he feels a lot of um, resent, uh, not regret, rather is probably the right word, about uh, about kind of how, how he wasn't able to help his nephew. And so he has a discussion about that in this analogy work, which, again, is pretty pretty raw uh, that, like I said, you don't see in most most works, at least not when you're watching Britney or Gaga or J-Lo or Beyonce. Did I say them all in order? You said uh, the best one first. <laughs> What I yeah it, how he views the work is not just political in terms of the the music though he's trying to put in with it he's like you know how what can I what if I did something like what if I did this with the music you know he's really trying to uh, explore different options beyond beyond the kind of just the obvious takes that you can uh, use to express yourself in in music he's really trying to again say something some fun facts ab- about him uh, he was painted by Keith Haring in 1983 so in one of Keith Haring's you know. How do you call that design? It's like the.
1: There's not a name for it.
0: It's just the herring design, um, with the people. No, not twined. the people. Like the, the. Oh,
1: I don't know. It's very tribal.
0: Yeah, that that sort of thing. So he painted him in, in that. Uh, in 2010, he like I said, he won a Kennedy Center Honors Award. The reason I bring that up again is because he, he was uh, alongside recognized: Merle Haggard, Paul McCartney, and Oprah. That's what I'm like, you probably saw his performance. Oh yeah. There we go. I was like, yeah, yeah, I know I you've see seen that. I know you've seen the Paul McCartney one because uh Dave Grohl performs in that one and Well that was the Oprah year, yeah. And and that's every year you're like every time you see that you're like, You know Dave Grohl uh from Springfield, Virginia.
1: Well, he's a a very attractive, unattractive man.
0: I want him to do the Super Bowl next year. Foo Fighters. I think they would be amazing. I mean, I want to see Miley Cyrus do the Super Bowl sometime, but she's 24, 25. Like, she's got some time. Dave Grohl in his Not buddies, Brittany? She's already done it.
1: She was a – she did it with the NSYNC and uh, Walk This Way. Aerosmith. Aerosmith. And, Kid and another Rock. one. It was and, like they threw everybody. They
0: did Kid Rock, uh, Aerosmith, um, Nelly, uh, and NSYNC and Brittany. Um, yeah, I just, uh, I, again, I, his work, I, You got to watch it because I, he's one of those people, he's a smooth talker. Uh, like, I'd say RuPaul is a smooth talker. Like, in, as you know, in his male persona, um, as a drag queen, it's different, right? Because that's a performance. But as, as a male performer, very, like um, uh, I said, smooth talker. He, he's sound polished. He, polished, smart, and easy to talk to, easy to have a dialogue. And, and Bill's the same way. He has that uh, you listen to him and you kind of want to ke- hear what he, he has to say. Um, so it's an intriguing, he's got an intriguing, uh, dialogue about him. Um, he, uh, you know, he, he says that nobody defines me. He's just, just because you understand what I've done, uh, you'll never know what I'm going to do. He says that in his sixties, uh, because he's like, I still have more work to do. He says, let's dance. Uh, that's, that's his, uh, his thing today. He's still working. He's an artistic director for New York, uh, Live, lives Arts, um, an organization that's kind of tied that's tied to the the dance studio that's that's still active today, um, which is the uh, Bill T. Arnie Zane Company. And so that's uh, Bill T. I would encourage you to watch because it, it is very calming and it's, it's almost spiritual to watch the the performances that he does and that he's. Uh, Choreograph because they're very they're powerful, emotional, and they do force you to confront some things that you're like, "Mm, I don't know what to do with this. So
1: Mm, I'm all about that.
0: Yeah. So there you go. All the dancing,
1: dancing, um, voguing, high kicking,
0: you name it. He's still a good dancer. I saw him do a TED Talk like five years ago. Like he's impressive. Although I look at him like I can do that. Same thing I do when I watch Beyonce though. I'm like I can do that. For one second. I couldn't do that for a full. But I can kick my leg. I can't do what aren't you what know, uh built T does. I that I cannot. Don't please don't try. You want me to do it right now?
1: No, we've got equipment here. We've got liquids nearby.
0: <laughs> liquids, yes. So we do. Uh all right. Well anything anything else? No?
1: I already said it all. That's
0: it. You want to talk about Brittany somewhere?
1: Off the air.
0: Hashtag free Britney.
1: Off the air.
0: I'm on Team Britney. You want me to hold a sign? You want me to make a sign? I will. <laughs> I'll make a sign and take a picture and send it to sure, you.
1: Sure. Just tell her where to show up, what to wear, what to do.
0: I don't care what she wears or what she does. Honestly, I don't.
1: What to say?
0: Say whatever you want, Brit.
1: What I panties mean? to wear? Well, I mean, are my panties good enough for you, Thomas?
0: <laughs> have you seen her Instagram though? <laughs> Mhm. Those dance, those dances are.
1: I think it's adorable.
0: I do too. I do too. I think she's feeling it. I wonder what she's feeling when she's doing that. It's very probably pain. Free flow. Oh, probably.
1: Misery. cry for helps.
0: That's sad. If that's the okay. case, she's always smiling.
1: Well, her dad's the only one holding the camera.
0: Oh. <laughs> See that's the thing that is scary because I I and as again as a business person you're like oh yeah we'll just do this and then you realize like oh you're putting people through a, a pressure cook like not me but you there's that potential that you could do that so I I can see how that happens and it just kind of snowballs out it's like oh we'll just do this one thing or we'll just go to one event and all of a sudden uh like Gaga says you're uh what did she say uh help help that? no get she, me out of here Gaga's like her when she was touring like ten years ago she was like. No sleep. Another bust. Another bust. There's a there's a like a like YouTube yeah. clip. And so it's just like she's doing lots of stuff. It's relentless. and they. You know.
1: Well, the sad part, this grossest part to me was when she was like nine years old on uh, Star Search. And Ed McMahon says, well, you have the prettiest eyes. Do you have a boyfriend? And she went, no. <laughs> like it was the most ridiculous, as it should be, for you to ask a nine-year-old... She's like, this is, you could tell on her face, it's like, this is the question you asked me. He said, why? Because they're mean. And he said, well, I'm a boy and I'm nice, aren't I? That was
0: the creepiest part of that. That was. Don't
1: you want to fuck me?
0: (laughs) (laughs) That was so gross.
1: Uh, And she's looking at the audience like, am I the only one seeing this? Did creeper over here
0: that's how he said it, it was gross but the, you know what to your point like those those types of interviews they were always awkward they never of course that's yeah. the, how the inter, the documentary but you know like,
1: what those interviews were do they were doing they were telling her how we expected her to ask or act they were telling her how she was expected to act it was to say you're supposed to say this and if you don't you'll be punished for it really that's what it is that's what we as a society do We tell women they're supposed to act a certain way. We punish celebrities if they get out of line, you know, by our collective uh, way of how they're supposed to be. And we always lose sight of who they are as human beings. And I get it that they choose to do it. They could go be bus drivers or something like that, and they don't have to be famous or whatever. But it's still very sad to see um, the psychological... Things we do to people so that we can get what we need out of them and throw them away. And we think because they put themselves on Instagram and our television sets that we can do whatever we want to them. I think it more so is a reflection of who we are as a society than it is Britney or Lady Gaga or whatever. Anna Nicole Smith, Marilyn Monroe, Judy Garland.
0: Yeah, I mean, Gaga got some of that, too. I mean, I remember watching some of the videos. I think the interviews was like, are you bisexual? Do you have a penis? Those sorts of things that are, like, so ridiculous. Like, these questions that are asked. Well, if she were
1: in – if – I don't think she will. But if she were to all of a sudden say, I can't take this anymore, shave her head, all this kind of stuff, and then had to have a conservatorship from her family, we would have the same documentaries – the thing I didn't like about the documentary is that they said, well, this is how they acted back then. Or maybe it's just the, how people have talked about the documentary since it's like, look how we treated women in the year, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's her entire life up until right now. So I'm like, what do you mean how we used to, we're still doing it. She's still under conservatorship. And there was one of the podcasters that has that podcast uh, show about, Britney Spears being under this conservatorship is saying if what man male celebrity would be under a conservatorship when he's this um, self-aware and obviously not needing a conservatorship so we treat her differently because she's a she's our pretty little Britney
0: so let me ask this question should should I mean, if she wasn't under conservatorship, she, she was heading down a, a, like a, a bad path, right? I mean, she was spiraling down. At least that's what was portrayed on, I mean, what we saw on video. and. Uh, but no, photos. this
1: is what, to me, the documentary is not really about her conservatorship. The conservatorship is a. the end result, or where we are now, to how we've treated her and how we treat damaged people. I wouldn't even say we don't even know if she's mentally ill. We can, Yes, she's mentally ill, but in terms of like a disease that's you know been going on for 13, six, you know, 14 years to, that allows her to be able to go to a performer, have a Vegas Vegas residency that you and I saw and to have released how many albums since her conservatorship yeah, responded? Sense. I mean, all of this and in the documentary they call it as a hybrid business this conservatorship should be now considered more of a hybrid business model. Yeah, those conservative No, it has nothing to do with the but she was a conservative in a conservatorship before she was legally in a conservatorship. You know, she was a product and she was making a lot of people money and they could not what what she did was when she shaved her head and got a tattoo and had to go to the hospital all that kind of stuff, she threatened a lot of people's money. And and all that moneyness and all our expectations of what Britney is supposed to be where's Britney and all of that
0: do you think i mean so what's the work around i mean what how do you how do you get how do you get through like what is your what what should have been done then
1: what should have been done for britney yeah like where, well for me it's the it was the simplest thing it, it we don't have to it's not just a let's fight for britney let's go storm the gates <laughs> Of the courthouse for Brittany, let's do this. Well, there I, are people doing that, yes, but I can you, only speak. For, I but I can only speak for myself in the sense of when you see someone, an Amy Winehouse or a it Billy Eilish, or who's, how we're treating Billie Eilish, who covers herself up with more and more clothes because she's scared to show us her underneath. Because I think she's even said, "You you all hate my body." we demand things out of people and it's never it's almost like we're what we're telling these celebrities that we need out of them is something we've already been told to tell them like our expectations of what women are supposed to do for us and even as gay men why do i need women to be sexy and turn on why do i need them to be in short skirts and first of all if you're a straight man that's nasty that you need your women to be sexy all the time but the way even gay men talk about women a lot of times is like um, your image matters, your image. I need more. I need this from you, this from you, to where we forget that these are actual human beings and we push and it's it just becomes very, to me, uncomfortable and dark and I don't like it. And I am guilty of it. I Not to the extent that I think it's, you know, Crazy, like I see a lot of people doing, but we all do it. And I think we need to check ourselves. We need to stop being a part of things that are don't buy that. Not that anyone's buying magazines, but at the time Britney was doing this, she was selling a lot of magazines. Don't buy the magazines that are ninety percent lies. The reason she was um followed around by so many paparazzi is because she there was huge amounts. She was a commodity, and you've you've lost you are now a victim you're not controlling it anymore and see when she started out you can see in that documentary when she was so in control of everything and she was so excited and she was such a hard worker and she knew what she wanted to put out there and she said i'm not some little girl whose manager is telling her what to do but then she did that so well then it got bigger it got bigger than her and also it got bigger and uncontrollable because she was a female. Because we did not Justin Timberlake. We were like, yeah, get all the girls. Yeah, be be um, be a man, and where's your, you know do what, all the things we expect of men. That we put different expectations on for women. For women, it is very much so contradictory. It makes no sense the, the expectations. Have a career, but also be an incredible mom who doesn't need daycare who's going to take them you know put your kids in little league and singing lessons and all this kind of stuff but you have to take them but why don't you have a career didn't you go to college you know um be attractive but only attractive for your husband but you're you know which is it's expected when you leave your house that you look like you've not wearing makeup, but you better have makeup. You know, it's like all these things, and why? Who is it for? And if you work against that, if you say, no, I'm not going to wear makeup, and I am going to have a career, and I'm going to insist that my husband stays with them, then you are a rebel and not a good sense. You are a threat to society, you know, because our little tiny brains can't digest what that type of person is. And I think with somebody like Britney, it's really easy to force someone who looks childlike and cute and sweet, force them into the person we need them to be. And I think she had a sense of like, I can't do this and I won't. And I really admire her more than somebody like, I think a Beyonce, less so Beyonce, but somebody like Madonna is so trapped in the image she's created that... She looks more weak to me than a Britney who has um, just kind of snapped and been like, I'm going to pull back and still do the career I like, but I'm going to do it on a scaled-back version that keeps my sanity and not constantly have to be the biggest and the best and the greatest of all time and reinvent. And, I mean, Madonna's the queen of that. And doesn't she kind of look pathetic now? I mean, let's be honest. I think people have realized that she's tried so hard. And what do you get with that? If we believe the tabloids, she doesn't have a relationship with her kids. You know? Or she has a difficult relationship with her kids. She's um, can't keep can't stay in a relationship, which I'm not judging that, but it's kind of like, are we to praise and admire the ones that are so cold that their career is everything because their career is for us, but we don't think it's good enough? I just think it's... It's such a hard life to be Famous like that I know they don't have to be famous but
0: I think we're getting the credits We're getting the the call Morky is telling us to
1: shut up I think she was crying because of this story About (laughs) Brittany
0: I think you're right. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, that's another episode of Let's Talk About Gay Stuff, the podcast that talks about LGBTQ history. Uh, If you like that, you can uh, make sure you subscribe to us so you can hear uh, future episodes. Um, And if you're subscribing to us, why not just hit the five-star button? I mean, give us a review. Tell us what you think. Um, You know, we'd love to hear get your thoughts. You can
1: do it for Brittany.
0: Do it for Brittany, you can. Uh, if you want more information, you can visit our website at letstalkaboutgaystuff.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Let's Talk About Gay Stuff and on Twitter at Talk Gay Stuff. Why do you want to follow us on social media? Because we do daily posts and this day in LGBTQ history. Um, yeah, so do that. And also, uh, thank you to Spencer who gets our episodes out every week. He keeps our sound in check. Spencer, you can find him, uh, with Chris on our spoopy podcast and our Ruby podcast. Our spoopy gives you the spoops, all the scary things, true crime, murder, mystery, our Ruby podcast gives you the, uh, drag race recap. So check them out. Uh, Chris also is a, uh, a contributor to this show. So you'll hear him with his, our whippersnapper, uh, segment. So be sure to check that out. We're all part of the listen works network here. So, with that we're here we're queer get used to it